The following audio is from LifePoint Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about LifePoint Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. Amen. All right, if you have Bibles, you can grab those and open those up to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy 3, we're continuing in our Dear Church series where we're talking about some things that uh, we feel like the church is desperate for, things that the church desperately needs to know. And so while you're turning there, I just simply want to start with a verse in Exodus. It says, the Lord is my strength. Everyone say strength. I, I think we live in a world where nobody wants to be weak. Amen? Is that, is that, is that a stretch? I think we live in a world where nobody wants to be weak mentally, emotionally. Uh, we don't want to be weak physically, and so we try to be strong. But, but this scripture says, the Lord is my strength and my song. He, the Lord, has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. I want to remind you that every moment of every day, we choose. We choose to live out of our own strength and be independent from God, or we'll choose to depend on, rely on the strength of God and walk by faith. Every moment is that choice. Am I going to try to be strong in myself, independent from God, or am I going to try to rely on, trust in, by faith, the strength that God gives me? When we try to be independent, we forsake God. And believe it or not, the system of this world is perfectly designed to encourage us to trust in our own strength. And so we'll let our strength or our perception of being strong really become our God. And so the system of this world will very quickly encourage us trusting in your strengths and so we'll say all right well this is how we're supposed to be perceived as strong and so we'll dress a certain way we'll live a certain way we'll get a certain level of job because those people who work in that field are strong or 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 we'll have to make a certain amount of money or we'll have to uh, buy the right house or live in the right neighborhood or or have a good family because if we have those things and then we can be Perceived as strong. And so the focus is always on what we have, what the perception is, or what we do. And so what tends to happen is that we take someone, or God takes someone from the world and then puts them in the church. And we think that this system applies in the church as well. We think that if we want to be a successful Christian, We have to be perceived as a strong Christian, and in order to be a strong Christian, what we do is we have to dress a certain way, and then we have to talk a certain way, 
And we have to, you know, do the things that good Christians do. We go to church a certain number of times. We, we uh, read a certain number of things. We memorize the right verses. We give a certain amount of money. We serve at a certain level. We join what the church tells us to join. And, and all of those performance things actually can vary depending on what denomination you're in. And so we move from a performance culture called the world and we move right into another performance culture called the church. And what ends up happening is both in the world and in the church is we become people who are basically just relying on our own strength as our God. And we'll just perform the heck out of it. And here's what's crazy is that we know how to play the game. We've been doing it since we were young. We know what, what people perceive as good and strong and right. And so we'll continue to play the game until maybe by God's grace, it'll come out that we're not perfect or we're not strong or that we fail all the time. And by God's grace, we realize that our hearts are dead apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because I'll tell you, religion saves no one. And so true Christianity is not about performance-based uh, uh, behavior modification, but it's rather about a heart transformation. And so in order to transform our heart, Jesus says you can't do that. You can't bear the fruit of the Spirit. You can't perform your way to heaven. You need a new life. And so I tell you that this morning. Not because I want to give you just this Christian lock, locker room talk that just hypes everybody up and says, oh, we're going to take on the, the cares of this world. But rather, I want to start with that by reminding each one of us of our complete and total depravity and our complete and total dependence on Christ and the Spirit of Christ to be our strength. We need Christ to be our strength. And I start with that because today, in God's word, we're going to be confronted. We're going to be confronted with something that is predominantly bleak and an ugly truth. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul gives a list of 19 ugly characteristics of evil. And he goes on and says, this is how they destroy, and this is how evil has been permeating the culture for centuries. And then, finally, Paul gives a description of what it will cost those who are in the church to try and live a godly life in such an evil culture. And so Paul writes to Timothy not to be a doom and gloom Debbie Downer, Right? Because it's the same apostle who writes in Philippians 4, hey, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, I want you to think about these things. Dwell on them. Set your mind on them. Live your life in them. Anything that is pure, think about that. But if we're honest, 
to think about what is pure while living in a world that is surrounded by everything that is impure is a little difficult. And we just simply say, well, welcome to the real world. Right? It's not all kumbaya. It's not all, you know, fire pits and singing. Welcome to the complexities of what is holiness. Welcome to the truth and, and knowing the mind of God. And so let me just encourage you. As a Christ-centered, Bible-saturated believer, as, a, as, a, as, a, as someone who desires a Christ-centered, Bible-saturated mind that loves to linger and think and sing and dwell in the beauties of God and his holiness that are seen in Jesus Christ, we at the same time need to know that the ugliness of evil is very, very real. And it is in us, and evil is in the world, and so we as the church dare not be ignorant. And so I'm going to ask you, just to focus on the word, I'm, I'm going to ask you to do something a little different. Will you stand as we read 2 Timothy 3 together? I'll just read the whole chapter. You can follow along if you have Bibles. If you don't, you can just follow it on the screen. 17 verses, it'll just take a moment. But understand this. In the last days, there will become times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud and arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unpeaceable, slanderous, and without self-control. Brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning but never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. But just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as it was of those two men. You, however, have followed in my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, even my persecution and suffering that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. Which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord has rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, Deceiving and being deceived, but as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make one wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. You may have a seat. 
Paul writes to Timothy, and he starts with, I need you to understand something. He says, understand this. He says, I I need you to know something, young leader. Know this. There in the last days will come times of difficulty. He says, listen, I know this. And so here's something the church, the God-honoring, God-loving people need to know. We need to know about evil. The mind of Paul in the last days saying, hey, evil will intensify it will grow. First Timothy 4, he says that in the later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits. They're not just devoting themselves to lies. This is demonic. He says they will devoted to evil spirits and the teachings of demons. Peter says in 2 Peter 3, he says scoffers will come in the last days. Scoffers to Christianity, scoffers to the gospel. Jude says in the last time there will be scoffers because they follow their own ungodly passions. All of the writers in the New Testament would agree that the last days begins with the coming of the Messiah. When Jesus entered into the world, the New Testament would say that marks the beginning of the last days. It was the arrival of the end, the beginning of the end, the last chapter in world history, the consummation of Christ's kingdom will be at the end of the end in the last days. First John 2.18, he says, children, it is the last hour. Hebrews 1.2, it says, in these last days, God has spoken to us. How does he speak to us? By his son. Jesus Christ. So we're living in the last days, and we've been living in the last days since Christ has come, and evil characterizes the last days throughout all of history from before that and after that, and then evil will begin to increase coming closer to the end of the end, which is, we know in the scriptures, the coming of Jesus Christ, the return of Christ. And so we expect that there will be a great intensification of evil. This will all happen as there is a faithful remnant, a few of God's true church. And the true church will experience this this supernatural, white-hot devotion to Christ in the midst of a broken culture. The true church will live with a willingness to endure and persevere and stand firm. And Jesus, he actually speaks of these last days in Matthew chapter 24. You can flip over there. I have it on the screen. I'll just read it to you. This is red letter, and so Jesus is talking about the coming of the end of the age. And in verse 6 of chapter 24, he says, And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. I love that he puts that in there. 
When things start going bad, when wars start coming up, when, when people start fighting against each other, listen, don't be alarmed. Don't be taken off guard. Don't be shocked. He tells us, he warns us, for this must take place. Why does God allow evil in the world? It must take place, Jesus says. But the end is not yet, for nation will rise against nation. Ever experienced that? Kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains, like someone in labor. He says, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all the nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and they will lead many astray. And because of lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures will be saved. The one who endures to the end will be saved, and this gospel, say gospel, and this gospel of the kingdom will be, will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. This means that we must be careful not to assume that the rise of evil in our culture is because Christ has failed. Where is God in all of this evil? What is Christ doing as things go bad to worse? Oh, he has not failed. He says it actually must happen. So we must not assume that Christ is failing. Or we must not assume that the church is failing. Oh, the church is dying. People are leaving the church. He said they would. The church is not failing. Christ is not failing. There is no promise for us that enduring holiness of the church will somehow be a guarantee to transform culture. While at the same time, let us not assume that between now and the end of the end that God doesn't plan a great awakening. Let us not assume that God is not wanting to bring a great revival to our friends, neighbors, and families in this world. Let us not assume that either. God doesn't plan for us to know, but while at the same time we can't assume that God doesn't want to use the church to bring the gospel to the world. The scripture just said the gospel will go into the world. The gospel will be a testimony to my great name. The gospel will be a testimony to my glory. So don't assume that God is not working and don't assume that everything's doom and gloom because God will use the gospel for his purposes. And I believe that God, as he does bring revival and awakening, it must start with Christ-honoring men in the church. And so it's time, as men and leaders of our households, to pray and evangelize and gather friends and speak boldly about the cross. So it's not our calling as men to just simply be complacent. 
And it's not our calling as men to simply do nothing and, uh, or even agree with darkness, but rather it is our call to rise up and to preach the gospel and to stand firm in the faith. And, and so 2 Timothy 3.1, he starts with, understand in these last days, it ain't going to be easy. In these last days actually comes a time of difficulty. Everyone say difficulty. How many of you know that's an understatement? We laugh, but really it is an understatement because difficulty is a mild translation. The word is only used one other time in the entire New Testament, and it's found in Matthew 8, 28 in reference to the demoniacs that Jesus comes into contact with. It says that two demon-possessed men met Jesus. They were coming out of the tombs, and they were so fierce, say fierce, They were so fierce that no one could pass that way. Fierce is the same word as difficulty. Understand, in the last days, it will be fierce times. Evil is not just simply ugly to watch and grievous to our hearts and our godly minds, but it will be so fierce, it will be so violent, it will be verbally fierce, it will be physically fierce, and as the church, we need not be ignorant of it. And so this means that the invincible work of Christ and the truth of Christ, it doesn't depend on the absence of evil, but rather, It moves forward in the face of it. And so if you're taking notes, write this one down. Dear church, we must not let the evil of the last days weaken our faith or our trust in Jesus Christ. May we never slip into the self-loathing pity party that our heaven here on earth is becoming hell. We're never promised heaven on earth, by the way. We're never promised that earth would be like our heaven before Christ returns. And I'll be honest with you, if you're trying to make this life your heaven, you're setting yourself up with a great disappointment. Why does God allow bad things to happen? Because we're in hell. We're not in heaven yet. Why does God allow so much suffering? Well, there's coming a day where there will be no more suffering. And he's going to do away with all the sin and all the wickedness. But that's not today. And so if we're trying to create this this serenity on earth, you will be disappointed. And so we do rejoice in hope. But Romans 5, it says we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, not in the culture. Oh, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And Romans 8, it says this hope, this hope in the glory of God, this is how how we're saved. Now, this hope that is seen is not hope. We're, We're, point to your hope. It's God. It's God's promises. It's the promises and the word of God. This is our hope, not this is our hope. We don't see it for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait with patience. Oh, Lord Jesus, come. 
The last days will be fierce. They will be evil. And so we endure strengthened not by what we see, but rather we're strengthened by the salvation of Jesus Christ and the glory of God seen in him. And so then, Paul, after he gives the warning, it's going to get fierce. It's going to be evil. He lists out evil. And the aim of the list, I believe, is not to just simply grovel in evil or gloat over our self-righteousness, or, or even make a list so that we can point out different people and cast blame, but the aim is to understand the varieties of evil, to spot these things, listen to me, first in ourselves and in others, and with a view to overcome them and avoid them and turn from them, and trust in the only Savior of the world, that's Jesus Christ. Look in verse 2. He says, for people will be lovers of self. That's narcissistic. They will be lovers of money. That's materialistic. People will be proud, loving to draw attention to themselves. Arrogant, it's an inflated view of self. Abusive, wanting to be hurtful. Disobedient to parents, that's having a rebellious spirit. Seen any of these so far? Ungrateful, assuming they're deserving. Unholy, un indifferent to Jesus. Heartless, unable to sympathize or empathize. Unpeasable, unwilling to forgive. Slanderous, wicked, distorting others. Without self-control, a slave to their flesh. They'll be brutal, they'll lack tenderness. They'll not love good, they'll dishonor God. They'll be treacherous, breaking the promises for their self-advantage. Reckless, craving admiration for extreme behavior. Swollen with conceit, blind to the ugliness of self. They'll be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Seeking physical fulfillment rather than pleasing God. Evil has the appearance of godliness, but denies its power. That's when... People use religion for personal gain without actually treasuring the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can tell that Paul believes that he's in the last days. Because he begins by saying, here's all this list of evil. And they are in the last days. And then he ends verse 5 with saying, avoid such people. Now, when he says avoid such people, he doesn't mean never talk to them. Because in 2 Timothy 4, 5, he encourages them to do the work of the evangelist. That is sharing the gospel, going to them and telling them about Jesus and the cross and the forgiveness of sins and new life in his name. Do that work. That's good work. Don't avoid them by never talking to them or just simply hiding a blind eye, but rather do the good work of an evangelist. So we are to talk to unbelievers. We are to encourage them to turn from sin, ourselves, our hearts, lay it down, put it at the cross, allow Jesus to make you whole. But don't hang out with the world, the evil of the world in such a way that makes you feel complacent to the fact that people are in trouble without Christ. So easy to get there. You know we're in trouble without Christ, right? You know the world is in trouble without Christ, right? 
And so we don't want to simply just go on living in a world of evil, not having a heart for the brokenness of the evil and say, we need Christ. The world needs Christ. But the sheer fact is that Paul gives such a long list of evils to show that he thought a lot about the way that sin ravages, that sin destroys the human life. He goes on to say that evil is so insidious that it creeps in and it preys on weak women. Evil is so so deceiving that it preys on weak men and weak children. Evil, it, it attacks the families, it attacks the homes, it attacks the truth, it attacks freedom. And he says, listen, don't be deceived. This is what evil does. It creeps in slowly in the crannies of your household and in your worlds. And so the task of the church is to make women and men and children mighty in the word of God, saturated with the word of God, rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we can stand. Women and men and children can stand against the schemes of the devil. And evil people that rise in the last days will not be those just looking, sampling new truths that seem to be right, new trends, but never really landing or standing firm on the truth of God. But Jesus says in John 8, the truth will set you what? He says, the truth will set you free. Oh, the truth. The truth will, will set you free from weakness of, of, of ignorance through the scriptures The truth will set you free from the burden of sin through the gospel. The the, the truth will set you free from the power of passion of self through the passion and the power of the Holy Spirit. So when he says evil may have an appearance of godliness, but you can have an appearance but deny the power. Deny the freedom. Deny what God gave us to actually set us free. Evil creeps in. Evil believes they're knowledgeable but are in opposition of the truth. Verse 8, it says that they're corrupted in mind and disqualified the faith. Verse 9 says, but they will not get very far. I'm encouraged by that. They will not get far. Now look in the encouragement. In verse 10, you, everyone say you, that's me. He's talking to Timothy, but as a, 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 a mediator to the church, right? He says, but you, Timothy, you, me, you, however, you followed in my teaching, you followed in my conduct, my aim in life, my faith. My patience, my love, my steadfastness, my, uh, in my persecutions and in my sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from all of them the Lord rescued me. Indeed, I want to tell you, dear church, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now Paul says... With this kind of evil in the world, follow me as I follow Christ. 
is I set my heart and my eyes and my soul fixed on the gospel of Jesus Christ. As I fix my teaching on Christ, my conduct on Christ, my aim in life is Christ. My faith is in Christ. My patience comes from Christ. My love is the love of Christ. My steadfastness is the steadfastness and the faithfulness of Christ. My endurance even through persecution and suffering, that all comes and points to Christ. So he says, remember, indeed all those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So don't think it's strange. Don't think you're a victim. It's coming. Verse 13. He says, evil people and imposters will go on. Everyone say, go on. He says, what evil does is evil actually goes on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. The the word for go on is to advance, to proceed, to be progressive. You know what we need? We don't need Christ. We don't need the word of Christ. We need to progress. We need to move forward so the group does not stay in. Evil does not remain in the truth, but rather goes on and leaves the truth of God's word. They are people who turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. But the encouragement is you don't turn away. Don't turn away. Don't consider it progress to leave behind the very words of God. Don't think that there's something new out there that would somehow change you or make you whole or set you free. Because only the word of God can do that. So so as for you, dear Timothy, as for you, dear church, stand firm. The encouragement is to continue in the word. Look in verse 14. But as for you, continue in. Everyone say in. And so don't, don't, don't go on, but continue in what you've learned Continue in what you firmly believe, knowing from who you learned it, and how even from a childhood, you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, the scriptures, the very word of God. And the very word of God and the scriptures are able to make you wise. Wisdom is not outside of this. The scripture makes you wise. And the scripture leads to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And so it is our encouragement in these last days, and it is our good fight of faith in the presence of evil to stand on and in the word. If you're taking notes, write this down. Dear church, continue in, remain in, and stand in what you've learned and believed, the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Evil does not stay in but goes on. But you, you hold fast to the truth 
You know it, you trust it, don't leave it. The scripture is what gives us wisdom and the knowledge of God, wisdom that leads to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. So please, he says, I beg you, don't leave the scriptures. There's no truth outside of this. There's no power outside of this that would somehow change people and somehow give them a new type of wisdom or a new type of enlightenment that somehow leads to a false salvation. He says, don't leave the truth of scriptures because they've led you to Christ. The word of God, it leads you to Christ. It's the only writings that give you spiritual wisdom. It's the only thing that helps us recognize that Jesus is the Messiah and the Savior of the world. Remember how in Luke, how Jesus was on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection and walking with those two men? And how he opened up the scripture and the scripture revealed to them everything concerning Christ, his death, and the resurrection. It is the scripture. It is the scripture that prepares our minds. It is the scripture that prepares our hearts. It is the scripture that allows us to see Jesus in the hands of the Holy Spirit so that we would be drawn to him and believe in him. We cannot turn from this evil on our own. Let me say that again. We cannot turn from this evil on our own, like just somehow flipping a switch. That's what religion does. Religion says, you know what? These are all evil things, and so you know what you need to do? You need to clean yourself up. You, you know what you need to do? You need to, you need to turn from, uh, from you know, these things and on your own strength, right? Like get involved in a church or do some things or, or check the boxes and, 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 and on your own strength. And so we cannot turn from evil like, like just make a decision to flip a switch and somehow not have a heart that's saturated with self and wickedness. What we need is a new heart, Amen. And so we don't need just more religion. We need the Holy Spirit to give us a new heart and a new spirit and to make us alive. We need to be made new. And let me tell you something, friends. The scripture tells us that that's exactly what the gospel does. Is it makes us new. We're in new creation through faith in Jesus Christ. We don't need behavior modification. We need a sinless savior. And so Jesus came and lived the holy, perfect life, the God-honoring life that we cannot achieve on our own. And then he died the death on the cross that we deserve to die. And he died by the hands of evil men. Men like you and me in the crowd calling out, crucify him. Why? Because the light hates the darkness. I mean, the darkness hates the light. We flee from it. We don't want to look at it. I don't, I don't want that man to stand. Crucify him daily. We cry out in all of our rebellion, in all of our rejection. Because our sin, it hates the light. Jesus died and absorbed the wrath of God toward every evil thought, every wicked action that I possess in my flesh, and that my heart is bent toward doing these selfish things that turn from Christ. But then on the third day, after Jesus on that cross said, it is finished, he rose. And he arose again, defeating death, disarming evil, 
and new life for all those who would believe. And it is through faith that he makes us alive in Christ, filling us with the promised Holy Spirit. And in that Holy Spirit, it convicts us of evil. It convicts us of our sin, brings to light and truth of God's word. The Holy Spirit uses the words of Christ to bring us to repentance and righteousness. And so my encouragement, as Paul encourages Timothy, my encouragement to you is don't walk away from Christ. Don't walk away from the Spirit. In these last days, don't turn from the Scriptures because because they brought you to Christ. Romans 10 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. So continue in what you've heard. Continue in what you've learned Continue in what you've believed because what we have in the scriptures is the very voice of God, the voice of the unshakable, true, and infinitely valuable word of God. Look at how he ends in verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching and reproof and correction, and for training in righteousness. Listen to me, my friend. That's what this church is about. We want to train men. We want to train families. We don't want to train us up in righteousness, which is why every time we get together, we open this book. We turn in this book. We read from the very voice of God in this book. Because if you're a church that doesn't care about training people in righteousness, you won't open the book. You'll give some worldly wisdom or something that will make you feel good. But we're not about that. We're about training and training and teaching and reproof and correcting and leading us to Jesus Christ. He says, listen, that's what the scripture does. So that the man of God may be complete. Listen, church, we don't want to simply make you busy. We want you to be complete. We want you to be holy so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. The scripture is the very word of God. The scripture is supremely valuable. The scripture holds promises for his church in this present life and the one to come. Amen? Scripture in the hands of the Holy Spirit has the power to make us the kind of people who can discern good from evil, who can understand holiness from unholiness, righteousness from unrighteousness. And it is the Scripture that equips His church for every good work. We desire the Scripture, we desire the Spirit, and we desire Christ to be the center so that we are transformed, empowered, enabled by the Word, by the Spirit to do the work in these last days that desperately needs to be done. And that's point everyone to Jesus Christ. Let's pray.
Oh God, I pray that your word and this message would fall on fertile soil. I pray that your church will be awakened to the fact that we do not live at a time of peace, but we live in a day of desperation. And so, Lord, I pray that we do not sit and stew and think about worldly solutions, but we fall on our knees and ask you, God, for great revival. God, today, there are some of us in here that have simply turned a blind eye, that have not not simply hungered and thirsted for righteousness. So Lord, this morning, would you lead us as your church into a state of repentance? That would you lead us into repentance as we've taken your word so softly that we've neglected to put your word in our hearts We've quenched the spirit who leads us in paths of righteousness. We say we'd rather do other things. Lord, we've been so complacent. So Jesus, today I ask that you would forgive us would wash us by your blood. You would renew in us a passion for your word and your people and your goodness. Lord, I pray that this little church in O'Fallon, Missouri would burn such a bright light and such a love for Jesus that darkness stands no chance Lord, I pray that your glory would shine so strongly through us that it would truly cause a great revival, a great awakening, a great movement. Not because people just start coming to church, but people, Lord, are being set free. Free by your truth freed by your word, freed by your promises. So until that day, let us stand firm. Let us endure with patience. Let us be a church that is the remnant, doesn't give in, but trusts and treasure Jesus for life. We cannot do that on our own strength, and so we're asking you now to revive us, awaken us, and renew us in Jesus' name. Amen. I believe Jesus is the hope of our world. I believe Jesus is the hope in our families. 
And Jesus is the only hope in the true church. And so as we gather together, we sing and we praise his name. We open the word and we hear his voice. And we have an opportunity to respond to a great God and king who will never leave or forsake. Let's go after him this morning. I love you guys. Thanks. Part of me. 